Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. If you want to open your Bibles to Job chapter 3. And I wanted to talk today about being honest with God. Because we have gone through the First Peter series and we've talked a lot about the suffering that goes on and the Christian attitude that we need to have in order to not only face our suffering, but to do well, to continue to follow Christ in the midst of our suffering. And it's been a, a definitely a good series, not only from the pulpit, but also in our small groups. But one of the things that I wanted us to see is that even in the midst of all of this truth as to how God wants us to respond in the midst of our suffering, I also believe that God wants us to be honest with him as we go through this suffering as well. As you probably know, I love to read. Uh, I love to read just about anything, uh, especially history, because I like information. I like knowledge. I like to understand why things are the way that they are. And uh, as much as I like to read, one of the genres that I really don't like to read is missionary biographies. Not because I don't like missionaries, but usually with missionary biographies, missionary so-and-so experiences this tremendous tragedy and then sort of shakes it off like it's a mosquito. And uh, as I read through all of these things, there is an overwhelming sense of, <clears throat> of I, don't, I guess you could say maybe failure or insecurity because when they go through all of these tragedies, whether it's financial tragedy, losing a spouse, losing a child, they just seem to be so overwhelmed by the presence of God that when all is said and done and they've walked through this valley of the shadow of death, that 300 people came to Christ. And I look at my own life and I say, you know, financial tragedies come or, or something difficult comes into my life and I complain <coughs> and I grouse. And I get upset, and I worry, and it never seems to be like it is in the missionaries' biographies. So that's why I don't like to read them, because they provide, provide just so much of that sense of guilt and insecurity within. And as I was listening last week to uh, Pastor Dave talk, um, I mean, it would be a good time to take a quiz now and see if anybody remembers the four points and um, give you a prize for that. I mean, speaking of prizes, Dan, I don't know what you're going to do with all that beans. Yes. Anyway, okay, so never mind. All right. <clears throat> yeah, sorry. <laughs> I was going to start like that, but I didn't feel I just had to get it in there. It's one of those things that... Okay, I'm sorry. When I work through those things, I feel less than. I don't know if you feel less than. Because you hear words like expect it. Okay, I, I expect things to go wrong. I, I don't know if in life, if you're like me when things are going well, you just know that something bad's going to come. So expecting difficulty is okay. And then the third point was evaluate it. Well, that's not really hard either because whenever something goes wrong, we are usually asking ourselves, is this something that I did wrong or is this something that's spiritual warfare? And so evaluating it isn't necessarily difficult either. It's when we get to the rejoicing or the exalting or even harder, entrusting God 
that makes it difficult for us. Because it's hard to say, thank you so much that I'm going through this. And it's really hard to say, God, I trust you because we're always looking for some answer or some way out or some hope that everything is going to be good when we struggle within thinking that it might not be the way we want it to turn out to be. So let's read Job chapter 3. And I want to see his reaction to his trouble. Now, if you haven't read Job, I would encourage you to do so. But just a little bit of context is, yeah, here's a man who is filthy rich. Not filthy rich in the sense that he is greedy, but that he just has been blessed by God because of his obedience. He has uh, ten children, which unfortunately he loses on the same day that he loses all of his riches because of a challenge between Satan and God and Satan's desire to see him fall, to be tripped up, to not worship God as God says that he would. But Job, after the first trial, not only survives, but he thrives and he says, I will worship God, which shows us that even in the midst of our deepest and darkest tragedies, it is possible to worship God. Satan comes back and says, okay, Job did fine the first time, but I think if you let me touch him, I'll mess him up. God says, sure, go ahead. I I trust him. I've seen his faith. I've seen his heart. I know he will make it through this. He is stricken with a a disease. Uh, There is pus leaking out all over him. He is a very miserable man. And yet even in all this, he is still worshiping God by the end of chapter 2. But he's sitting in a garbage dump. And his his four friends have come, three friends, and the fourth one is there just kind of watching, come to comfort him. And this leads us to chapter 3. And listen to the wonderful words of praise in which he speaks. Job chapter 3, verse 1, after this, after all this tragedy, after sitting in this garbage dump, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. He said, may the day of my birth perish, and the night it was said, a boy is born. Those don't really sound like very interesting, uh, encouraging, praise-type words, does it? Basically, what Job is saying is, I wish that I had never been born. I wish that I had never been born. In fact, if I could go back and do things, if I could be a Hiro Nakamoto and go back in time and not be born, I would do just that. Because the pain that I am experiencing at this very moment is so great that I just can't handle it. And I wish that I had never been born. But I can't go back in time and change things. So slip down to verse 11. He says this, Since I can't change things and I was born anyway, I wish the day I was born something different happened. He said, Why did I not perish at birth and die as I came from the womb? Why were there needs to receive me and the breast that I might be nursed? In other words, as he goes on, he says, You know what? The day I was born, I just wish they left me in the corner and let me die. Because this pain is so great. I mean, sure, I had to be born. There's nothing about that. But I just wish they'd left me alone because I cannot handle this. But it gets darker. Uh, Slip on down to verse 20. And what does he say? He says, why is light given to those in misery and life to the bitter of soul? To those who long for death that it does not come, who search for it more than hidden treasure. What Job is saying is, I wish I was dead. I cannot change the fact that I was born. And as you read through Job chapter 3 and in the beginning, you see all the the night and the darkness and the heaviness. And it's a, a picture of deep 
dark storm clouds that are coming into his life and they're washing over them. I don't know how many of you remember last year's little microburst that came through the area and just knocked out trees and power. And, and we were in the church office and I just remember as I were sitting there, it was kind of a nice day, it wasn't too bad, but then you just saw the darkness roll in and the high winds. And it's, it, that's exactly what's going on in Job's life. Because one day he wakes up and he has everything. He has everything he can imagine. He has a great family. His, his kids are enjoying each other. You know, I mean, it's an amazing thing when family gets together constantly and they actually enjoy each other. So Job has everything going well and then these deep, dark storm clouds roll in. Yes, he worships, but what we see here is a man in extreme anguish. And he says, oh, to die. He's not wanting to take his life, because if he wanted to, he probably would have. But what he's saying is this pain is so great. And, and I cannot understand what he's going through, because I've never had ten children. I don't think I can even handle four, let alone to add four more and then two, six all totaled. But to see the loss, that's because I'm thinking my math is off. I was kind of doing it in my head like double my family, but I didn't want to say two and a half times or 150% and throw somebody off and some math major come up afterwards and say you didn't say that right. But anyway, he's in anguish. 25 years ago, my sophomore year in college, in October, this would be the 25th anniversary of the death of my brother. My brother was a lawyer. And as a lawyer, he went into a courtroom, and he was in the midst of divorce proceedings. And the man that he was doing the proceedings against was not really happy. And he killed not only my brother, but he also killed the judge. Now, that's losing a brother, and that was difficult. But I could not understand the pain that my parents were going through. And even 23 years later, when we sat down at a family gathering and we talked about my brother who's been gone for 20, and some of you aren't even 23 years old in this room, the pain was still real for my family. So I cannot imagine in one day losing 10 children. The closest I've came was about a year and a half ago when Daniel went in for heart surgery and I can remember, you know, you kind of, as he's laying there and he's a little bit nervous and you just kind of say, dude, it's going to be all right. It's all cool. Everything's great. And you're sitting there thinking, oh God, please don't let him die. And I can remember when he got out of surgery, I cried because it was like he's made it. Because the fear is, what is it like to lose a child? That is the anguish that this man is experiencing. And for us to expect him to wipe that off like a mosquito and say, well, just praise the Lord, this is great, is what he should do. That is what the truth is. God can be trusted, but it is not easy in the midst of that sort of anguish and pain that he is in. And I think when we go through things like First Peter and we see the constant encouragement to exalt, to rejoice, to obey, to be holy, it is difficult for us because our experience shows us that it's not so easy. And thus, because it's not so easy, many of us just simply stop trying because we cannot reach the standard that is so far above us because when we hear the story of Job, all we hear is one and two, the first two chapters and how Job did so well, and then in chapter 42, where God restores everything, and we miss all of these chapters in between where we see Job's anguish. 
at having lost everything. But worst of all to him was the absolute silence of God. Throughout all of his dialogue, Job, here he's complaining, I, I, I wish I wasn't born. When I was born, I, I wish I was born, still born, I was dead. All right, just take me now, God, get it over with. But going back and forth and saying, God, why don't you answer me? Why are you so silent? Why do I wait for you to respond? I haven't done anything wrong. And the truth is the reason that Job is suffering is because he was a righteous man. If Job was not a righteous man, Satan would have said, would not have said, let me take care of this guy. Let me take him out. But because of his righteousness, like we've been learning in first Peter, he suffered. But he was honest. He was honest with God. And I think that's most important for us to understand that we need to be honest with God in the midst of our pain. I mean, when you read these verses, and and please just allow me to read them again. After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. And he said, may the day of my birth perish. And the night it was said, a baby boy is born. And why did I not perish at birth in verse 11 and die as I came from the womb? And verse 20, why is life given to those in misery and life to the bitter of soul, to those who long for death that does not come, who search for it more than treasure? Why this pain? Honesty. Job gives us the freedom to be honest in the midst of our pain. Now, when you read the book of Job, Job's comforters really don't do a good job of comforting him. The unfortunate thing is they're sitting around there. They start out very simple. Job, we're looking at your life. You're obviously a man blessed by God at one point because you're obedient. But now it seems, what did you do wrong? What is that sin that you committed? Where by the end of their discussion, they call him a dirty, stinking, rotten rat who has sinned against God and deserves his pain. Not very good friends. But I bring that up because in the midst of us being honest with our pain, we don't want people coming up to us and saying, well, just praise the Lord, brother. That is, in a sense, for us to see that not only does Job give us the freedom to be honest with God in the midst of our pain, but the friends that he has allow us to see that there's not a good example of what it really means to come alongside of someone and to comfort them. So we don't want to get alongside someone and say, listen, exalt, rejoice, entrust yourself to God because it's not easy. Job gives us that freedom to be honest with God and honest with each other. And one of the hardest things for any church community is for people to actually sit down and be honest with one another in the midst of our pain because we don't want people to see that we are not the great heroes of faith that we project ourselves to be. So the the first thing that I want you to understand today is this. Be honest with God in the midst of your suffering and in your pain. I I like God's response. How does God respond? Let me just put it simply. God says this. Well, he doesn't say this this way. God will be God with us. Be honest with God. God will be God with us. Turn to Job chapter 38. Job 
after all of Job's complaining about his innocence as he's gone on, and after his four friends have spoken, or his three friends and their one young companion who's come along with them, this is what God then says after all of this. And here is where God is going to speak truth. He's going to speak truth to Job. It says here in verse 1 and 2 of chapter 38 in Job, Then the Lord answered Job out of the storm, and he said, Who is it that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? In other words, God here then in the following paragraphs is going to basically say, Who are you, Job? I have created this earth. I have created this planet. And if you're Job, remember, this is thousands of years ago. And if you can imagine that Job has no concept of what the planet earth really is like. So to him, there is a sense of vastness. In fact, the vastness more than anything else that he would see is the stars above, not the world itself. But God basically will say in the following verses, and there's many of them in chapter 38, is, I have created this planet. Where were you when I laid its foundations? You are nobody. So how can you come before me and let go all of these complaints? I'm God. But he goes on a little bit further. And he talks about how ultimately he is the creator of the universe. He says, look at the stars. Look at Orion and all the stars that are up there. I made those. Who are you to complain to me? And then in the following chapters, he goes through the animal kingdom and pointing out the little things about the animals. The ultimate point is God is saying, here's his response. I am God and I'm going to be honest with you. You've been honest with me, but I'm going to be honest with you. I am God and what I have done. It's okay to be honest. But now the truth is, you still must worship. So, what I want you to see today, it is important for us to grasp that God thinks it's okay for us to be honest with Him in the midst of our pain. God does not say, Job, you are an idiot. Job, you have offended me greatly. You have sinned greatly because by the time we get into chapter 42 and Job actually sees the foolishness of his ways and he repents and turns from that, God says, it's okay and now I shall restore you. God is basically saying, I am God. And he tells Job like it is. This is what it is. This is how it's going to be. You need to trust that because I have done so much and that I am God, and this is the entrust part, that you can actually trust me. Even in the midst of your pain, even in the midst of your honesty, but you must trust me. Now I wish I could pull out a verse here and say to you, here is God's explanation to Job as to why this happened. But there is none. So after God has said, who are you, Job? How can you question me? You should trust me. You should worship me. He gives him no explanation whatsoever. He doesn't say, hey, Job, I just want you to know. I'm going to comfort you here a little bit. But I just wanted you to know one day Satan come up to me and I said, you know, here's Job. He's a righteous man. And then Satan wanted to just destroy you. But I was really cool about it. I only let him destroy you so much. And uh, no, God does him no explanation whatsoever. So even in the midst of our difficulties, the truth is we still need to worship God, though we can be honest. And yet, he doesn't have to explain what he's done, let alone why he's done it. 
It's kind of interesting in being a parent sometimes. Kids just want to do something and you say no. I mean, I, I've never had this with my kids. But they ask you, you know, can I do this? No. Why? Just no. You cannot do that. I'm not going to let you do that. Okay, fine. I had that conversation this week. About 15 times I had to say no. I do not need to explain why you cannot do this. Let's get this straight. I am the parent, not your peer, and thus, no, you cannot do this. Now, I'm not trying to say that I'm God in my household, anything but, but I'm trying to get you to see that when God brings these things into our lives, he does not have to explain himself because he is God. But we can be honest, and yet we still need to obey the truth and trust that as God, he knows exactly what he's doing. In the end, turn to chapter 42 and we see what happens to Job. Verses 12 through 13, it says this, The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the first. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, a thousand yoke of oxen, and a thousand donkeys. And he also had seven sons and three daughters. In other words, everything was restored. Now, when you read that, you almost have the sense of reading a missionary biography, don't you? Because here is Job, everything is lost, but in the end, everything is given back. What a blessing. That's fantastic. That's awesome. But we know from experience that it doesn't always work out that way. What I would like us to see, though, is that God will one day restore us. And so the things that we lose now, and as difficult as they are now, will one day be restored. It may be the day that we enter into God's kingdom in heaven, but there is restoration. And that's in many ways a portion of what Peter is trying to get across in his letter, is that there is a hope. We have a hope that even though we suffer for Christ now, one day, God will reveal his glory to us. We will see God for who he is. We will be able to exalt and know that having trusted God really was worth it. Not every story has a happy ending. Stephen in Acts chapter 8 did not have a happy ending to his story. When they stoned him to death, he was dead and that was the end of it. When James lost his head in Acts chapter 12, that was the end of it. In fact, flip with me to Hebrews chapter 11 and, and hear the stories of some of those who, like Job, would trust God, would still face incredible difficulty and pain in their lives. And these here are the heroes of the faith. But Hebrews chapter 11, and it's probably going to come up here. In verse 35, <clears throat> it reads this way. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. The thing that we often mistake in the midst of our suffering is that we can be free to be honest with God. That even though it is hard to get to a place 
where we can rejoice or exalt in what is going wrong in our lives. And where it's difficult for us to trust that what he has allowed to happen can actually be used by him to shape us into the image of his son, Jesus. It's okay in the end, to be honest, as long as it brings us to a place of worship. Because God is not saying, please be honest, but don't do anything after that. One of the things that I struggle with is, is that it's easier for me to be honest with God about what I don't like what's going in in my life, but never get to a place where I actually say, I will trust you. That's a hard place to get to. It's difficult because of the things that go on in our lives. In the end, as we're finishing up on First Peter, Peter, in talking about all of this, will one day be crucified upside down. That's not a happy ending at all. What we need to see as we follow Jesus, as we go through whatever it is that we go through, the difficulties, trials, the struggles, the pains, and the hurts, that it's okay to be honest. I don't know how many of you have ever gotten to that place in your life. I know that sometimes I have literally said, God, I cannot handle this. Please, take my life. Now, in a sense, someone once told me that's a warped sense of suicide, brother. Why? Well, I'm not going to take my life because that to me is stupid. But if God does it, it's okay. Well, it's not really okay, so please don't take that home and think that, that it's okay. But that's when someone gets to the end of their rope and they stop trusting. And it's times like that I think that God steps in and says, hold on a minute. It's okay to be honest. Share the pain. Don't even be afraid to tell the pain to your brothers and sisters around you to get that comfort. But never, ever get to that place like Job and say, I prefer death. Because that is not trust. That is not where I want you to go. Where I want you to come to a place of worship and praise where you can say, Though my pain is great, and Job would say this later on in chapter 13, he would say, though he slay me, though he would actually kill me, though he would actually fulfill my wish to die, I will yet praise him. Because in chapter 19 he says, for I know my Redeemer lives, and I will stand with him on that day. Which as you finish First Peter chapter 5 is when you get to verse 10, it talks about how God will strengthen us to stand. So my encouragement is this. It's a very simple message. In the midst of your pain, be honest with God and then let God be God. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, there is, without doubt, and without question, a myriad of pain and hurt that is here today. People who are still fighting and working through the loss of loved ones from years ago. Some suffering for doing what is right in your eyes and wondering why they have not been so richly blessed. And yet even worse, many of us are hiding that pain 
from others behind a veneer of praise the Lord because we want no one to see that our faith is weakened. Father, for this church, I pray that as the God of all comfort, that you touch your people, that you give us a sense of your presence, that the silence that Job experienced is not a silence that we would experience because not only do we have your word, but your children, our family around us to care for us, to comfort us, and to encourage us. But when all is said and done, Father, may we let you be who you are, God of the universe, the God who has absolute dominion and sovereignty, not only over the universe, the world, but our lives, our circumstances. And in all things, it is your desire to conform us into this image of your son, Jesus. And as difficult as it is to suffer, and as much freedom as you give us to be honest. May we end in worship. For there is no one who is like you. There is no one who loves like you do. There is no one who cares or walks beside us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.